Hello and welcome to Life After, a podcast where young people can share and discuss their experiences with grief. My name's Theo Silverstone. I'm a 22-year-old student and this is the first of a five-part series where I ask guests about their experiences and how their grief has shaped them. Since this is the first episode, I thought it best for me to tell you about my story and why I wanted to create this. So, I enlisted the help of my friend Harry, who agreed to interview me. What were your motivations for starting the podcast? When I was nine, my dad died of a brain tumour. And a number of years later, my brother died of the same illness. So following what had happened, I felt quite singular in what I'd experienced. And I also felt quite alone in the sense that I was guilty that I wasn't perhaps more emotional and that I disassociated from what had happened. Two years ago, I think, uh, someone then advised me to start listening to grief-orientated podcasts. And I did. I listened to... Grief Works by Julia Samuel um, and Griefcast and a number of others. And although the stories that I listened to were, you know, vastly different from mine, they were really, really helpful. And it made me feel like I wasn't so alone in what I was facing. But with these podcasts, the guests were mid to late 20s, early 30s and beyond. And I felt like there wasn't necessarily someone my age who I could relate to in that sense. So I thought, why not start my own thing with a focus on people like me? So yeah, this this is kind of designed to be a platform where young people can listen, hear a variety of experiences and hopefully realise that, you know, whatever they're feeling is normal and just that they're they're not alone in what they're facing. So what do you remember from both of your experiences? My dad's death is a bit blurry because it was obviously so so long ago. From what my mum told me, I, I, had a, I had an understanding of what was going on, but I don't think I really understood what my dad dying would mean. I, you know, obviously I think it would be pretty pretty rare for a nine-year-old to actually get that. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, remember, I remember kind of very few things. I remember going to school uh, a couple of days after he died and a number of my friends at the time coming up to me and saying, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And for me, that was quite strange because I hadn't realised that people knew. And so I think that confused me initially. And then, yeah, I before my dad died, I remember going to the hospice where he was with my brother and my mum. And my brother and I just got kind of captivated by this program about planes instead of spending time with my dad. Um, so, yeah, those, those are a couple of memories that stand out. My brother's death was completely different, of course. I remember getting the diagnosis and that was a horrible moment. Uh, and... I called up my then girlfriend at the time, Lydia, uh, who came over and tried to console me. I was unbelievably upset at that stage, but I felt kind of an an immense responsibility to help my mum and help my brother. Um, And so my concern wasn't necessarily myself at that time. I remember trying to collect clothes and supplies for my mum and my brother at the hospital and walking into my brother's room and just like bursting into tears. And then contrasting that with when I walk into the room, actually at my hospital and smiling and trying to, you know, lighten the mood, make jokes, etc. So my role was completely different in that sense. To a lot of people, taking on that massive responsibility at such a young age is extremely courageous and strong. Did you find it daunting? To me, that was the only available option at the time. Um, it's not like I was alone. Um, you know, I was 
lucky to have my mum and uh, my friends at the time of my brother's death, especially, were invaluable. Um, Lydia was there for it all, and she was brilliant with me, kind of to the extent that I truly don't think I will ever understand how important she was during that period for me. And then, and then more recently, over the last year and a half or so, I've met people without whom I probably wouldn't be doing this now. Do you think because of that responsibility and also because you obviously would have been at a different point in your life, different age, do you think your coping mechanisms have changed over the years? Yeah, I think when I was young, I stopped caring about things like my grades and I essentially threw myself into my social life. I remember not not wanting to speak about things. And I think because my mum was kind of such a pillar of strength during that time, I drew a lot from her. She really just had to carry on. And so in some sense, that's what I feel like I did. You know, and then moving to my brother's death, at that stage, I'd realised that I didn't want to hold everything in anymore. And so... Following his death, I've, I've tried to be a lot more open and I've, for instance, sought counselling a lot more than I would have previously or um, I've actually tried to involve my friends a lot more in my internal life. So I think that those are the two two biggest ways that I've kind of deviated. Has it had an effect on your mental health on a regular basis? Um, yeah, I think it has. Uh, after After my brother's death, I started feeling quite anxious about my own mortality um you know considering the genetic element of both my brother's death and my dad's death and that's something that I never kind of foresaw foresaw my lego lass (laughs) 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 but that's that's something that I never really expected and when I was in first year that resulted in stuff like me having to call the NHS hotline at two in the morning to talk through how many headaches I've been having in a day or whatever. Uh, but that still that still affects me now. To a lesser extent, of course, but it kind of ebbs and flows. What's it been like seeing a counsellor? Yeah, useful. I think initially I was quite disillusioned with the whole process. I don't really like people treating me like glass. I also didn't like the idea of having to kind of get counsellors up to speed and and all this other stuff. But as I say, more recently, it's been valuable. And two years ago, I was introduced to the idea that people grieve differently and the way that I have grieved is normal. And f- that may sound quite simple, but for me, that was huge and allowed me to be a lot kinder to myself in a number of ways. Because as I said at the beginning, I I felt really guilty that I wasn't more emotional and I felt that there was something wrong with me because of that it's also been useful for voicing things that I'm perhaps scared to admit to other people. And it provides an element of safety, or at least it allows me to be vulnerable in a way that I'm comfortable with. How do you think those experiences have shaped you? In broad strokes, it's made me self-reliant. And it's it's realigned what I value massively. I think it gives you an immense clarity about what matters, you know, namely my friends, my family. And although that type of clarity fades as you then get wrapped up in everyday life, that self-reliance and that love of the people who I have around me kind of governs who I am. But at the same time, I think it's, it's, it's also difficult to say how it's changed me because 
following my dad's death, I think I became a different person. But when my brother died, I don't think my character has so much changed. I think it kind of just reaffirmed kind of these existing truths that I'd already known about. Do you feel like there are certain times when it affects you more than others? Yeah, I think there's never a day when I don't think about it. It's always present. And that, I mean, that's not to say that my life doesn't go on, but I'm bound to these these memories like the diagnosis or like the funeral or smaller moments as well. Um, birthdays, Christmases are challenging, but at the same time, it can be anything. You know, music that I'm listening to, a show that I'm watching. It's just something that kind of makes me self-aware or makes me self-conscious of the relationships that I don't have the ability to have. You know, when my friends talk about their their own siblings and their families, that can strike a chord with me. But at the same time, I'd then never want my friends to feel like they couldn't share that with me. Because just because I may register it and it may make me feel self-conscious, as I said, it doesn't, that's not to say that it really kind of gets to me. I think at university, the most common thing is when I've just had a bit too much to drink. Um, normally I've, I've got things under control, but then I think I allow myself to be a bit more vulnerable. For instance, on my brother's birthday last year, I remember I was out with you. Yeah. And yeah, I remember. Yeah, that's one of the first times that I've been, that I would, for instance, look at photos of him, you know, things like that. Why do you sort of think that is? Do you think when you've had a drink, you feel more comfortable looking back at those photos? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, if I'm honest. I think generally I do a pretty good job of pushing stuff away. Mm. And although I feel like I've got a good handle on things, a lot of my grief is still buried. When I'm drunk, I think I just allow myself to get there. Um, and I kind of allow myself to sit in it rather than push it away immediately. Sort of removes a barrier almost. Yeah, no, exactly, yeah. Since you started this podcast, because obviously you've interviewed several people already, how have you found speaking to other people and their similar or shared experiences? Yeah, it's been really good. I don't have conversations like this often. Um, and, you know, that's why I feel that opening up a space like this is so important. But on a more personal level, speaking with people who have a shared experience is slightly different from speaking with someone who doesn't. And that's not to say that my friends haven't been great. They have. But there's a deeper level of understanding there. Chatting to the guests on the podcast has given me a new perspective in some cases or helped my understanding or even just someone explains something in a way that I just really resonate with. It's been a good thing in that sense. Do you think it's a good way of breaking down barriers and sort of reducing stigma and letting people speak about it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I think in the past, I know that my friends have found it challenging to approach me, even if they feel like they want to try and help. They perhaps feel pressure to say the right thing, or which, of course, there is no right thing to say. But hopefully, you know, this podcast can help contribute to that and, as you say, remove the stigma surrounding teenage grief and grief in young adults. So that's it for the first episode. I hope that gives you an idea of what this series is all about and what I'm trying to achieve. I also want to say a big thank you to Harry for agreeing to help out. Next time, I'm going to be talking to my friend Miles from uni 
about his life after the death of his mother. I hope you can join us there. I'm Theo Silverstone. The music was composed by Lucy Piercy and performed by Alexander Lestrange. The editing was done by my mum. Thanks for listening.